Greetings, little one. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Bad witch! I'm not a witch, I'm your wife! What makes you think she's a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt! A newt. What's thou like to live deliciously? Got better. Dost thou comprehend? Welcome to Real Magic, the podcast at the crossroads of real witchcraft and Hollywood magic, where paganism and the supernatural meet their reflections in movies and television, and where we talk about what real magical or life lessons we can learn from fictional witches from 100 years of movie pictures. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. Welcome, witches and weirdos, to episode two of the Real Magic Podcast. I'm so happy to have you joining us today on this wonderful October day. Now, this October, there's going to be a full moon on Halloween night. And if you're like me, you know that that's the perfect time to light a black flame candle and invite some awesome friends to your Halloween party. There's no movie for me that exemplifies Halloween more than Hocus Pocus. This 1993 flop has become a cult classic and a staple of holiday programming. But it's also a favorite among witches all over the world. And today we're going to talk about why. My guest today is Brittany Sandler. Brittany is an entertainment publicist and creative consultant specializing in all things horror and genre. She's worked with Overlook Film Festival, North Bend, and Nightstream Film Festival, and she's currently working on the Monster Squad documentary called Wolfman's Got Nards. Brittany is a wonderful person who has a great love of horror and is also a witchy friend of mine, so I'm excited to have her on as our first guest. So let's get things going as we talk about Hocus Pocus. So welcome, Brittany Sandler, to the first episode with a guest of the Real Magic Podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. Hi. Oh, hi. Oh, I'm so excited too. And I didn't know I was going to be the very first one. I'm like so honored. <laughs> and I'm doing this like as Mercury retrograde starts. So I'm sure we won't have any technical problems at all. Oh, no. No, not at all. <laughs> so I've just read your bio. Um, but can you tell us about like your witchy side since we know your film cred side? Okay, so I would say, because, um, you know, on the witchy side, like, I think witches are really based on, like, kind of just being in tuned with yourself and the universe around you is kind of, like, the most basic way of looking at it. So I would not say that I, like, I think people have their own definitions of it, but I would say, like, that's kind of the the grounding of everything. So I always felt, like, kind of in tune to stuff and sensitive to things, Um, so I think that's what kind of, for lack of a better word, like my, my power comes from (laughs) is just being very sensitive (laughs) and in tune to other people. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so like, I don't know, I've, I've always loved genre stuff and spooky stuff to the point where like my mom was a little worried when I was a kid and, uh, but now it's so in fashion that she's not worried anymore. (laughs) It's it's trendy again. It's like in the 90s again. (laughs) It's trendy again, but it's like, but I wouldn't say like I'm super like active practicing, but it's, I think it's just kind of more like mindfulness and being sensitive where it's like, okay, like 
uh, you know, being very like conscious of the earth and feelings and in tune with stuff and just like trusting your gut, I would say is kind of where my, my witchiness lies. So in the first episode, I talked a lot about the Wizard of, it was all about the Wizard of Oz. So I talked about how that was a movie that kind of made me as a kid, like want to be a witch because I wanted to be Glinda or Dorothy or the Wicked Mm -hmm. Witch, depending on the day. Was there a movie, and it could be Hocus Pocus, but was there a movie for you that kind of really made you love magic and love movies and feel very witchy as a kid? Oh, it was completely Hocus Pocus. Oh, perfect. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) So I remember watching Hocus Pocus. I was probably five or five or six, and it was when it would they would premiere it on the Disney Channel. That was like kind of my family's splurge for like TV was the Disney Channel. And so I remember watching it as a kid, and I would like dress up to watch it, and I would like prance around our living room pretending I was a witch and like trying trying I would search our house trying to find a book that looked like the most like the book. I just love I just loved it. I it just it's so colorful. It's so magical and the effects are awesome. And I was just like, this is amazing. And I watched it so often. Um, I had a best friend and we would always, she went to a different school and we would have sleepovers every weekend and we would like pick our favorite movies. So we constantly watched Hocus Pocus and we constantly watched Sleeping Beauty that we like wore out the VHS tape three times. And my mom had to be like this this is the last one I buy you. (laughs) She was very happy when DVDs were invented because she was like, you can't wear it out. (laughs) I love that you talk about prancing around the house looking for like magical things. And then you mentioned Sleeping Beauty. Because when I was a kid, I would steal the cordless phone and run around the house singing and all the powers of hell I wanted to be Maleficent, which is super normal for like five-year-old. But yeah, this movie is so nostalgic. It's so much fun. It's got such, it is the Halloween aesthetic movie. Like this movie, I think for our whole generation defines what Halloween feels and looks like. And it's just such a good, fun movie. And I think most witches I know that have watched it love it too. Oh yeah. No, it's kind of what you say about it being like the, it's the like essential Halloween movie because it's, it's everything it's from story to like the, what you, and, and kind of like the, what the American experience of Halloween is where it's like, it's Salem and then, you know, there's a huge thing of pumpkins and everything's in, in like saturated in orange and purples and, and greens, like the whole, the whole film is saturated in Halloween colors. Um, And I was even thinking like, I was like, what is it maybe missing? I was like, well, no, you got the zombie. You even have Dracula a little bit because the dad's yeah. dressed up as Dracula. <laughs> yeah, it's got everything. And like like you said, the colors of this movie are so beautiful and so well done. Like there's that great line, Max says, we're like, the leaves are great. I'm like, but the leaves are great. <laughs> it's so beautiful. <laughs> and they did film it in Salem, Massachusetts, all those exteriors, which is great. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that until today when I was doing a bunch of research on this, actually. Oh, I know that there's like a like a tour that you can do of different exterior locations, which like I I can't wait to do when that's like a thing that we can do again. I mean, exterior yeah. tour probably fine to do like on your on your own, but yeah. um, like flying out there to go do it. I really want to go to Salem one day. I've never been. There's a Salem, Oregon, which is about 20 minutes from where I live, but it's not the same at same. all, unfortunately. <laughs> So you saw this movie on the Disney Channel. 
Um, mm-hmm. I remember seeing it in theaters, actually. I was one of like the few people who saw it in theaters, I think, because my mom knew I was a weirdo who liked witches and stuff. And I just remember coming out of the movie like, that was the greatest movie I've ever seen. I think I had to be like nine years old in 1993 when it came out. Mm-hmm. And then like, I remember it was one of the first movies I made my mom like pay for like pay-per-view back in the oh, day. Oh, yeah. My dog just walked in. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was such a great movie. But the, when it came out, it was a total flop. They released it in July, which is one of the reasons yes. why no one wanted to see a Halloween movie in July. And the reason for that was because Disney also had Nightmare Before Christmas coming mm. out that fall. And so they didn't want have like a conflict of Halloween movies and it's amazing when you think of like these two like defining aesthetic movies came out in the same six months period yeah which is so funny because like looking at I I was looking at like some older trailers of it and it is so Halloween focused because um because thinking about it now like you could probably just have a movie called Hocus Pocus and it be about witches and not necessarily have to release it around October but because that movie is so like kids are trick-or-treating and it happens on Halloween night it's like there's no way it's not an October movie yeah (laughs) or like or even late September movies so yeah that's um you could not have told five-year-old me that it was a failure because I was like this is the best movie in the world (laughs) the greatest movie ever (laughs) and directed by Kenny Ortega legendary director of Newsies and High School Musical. <laughs> oh, I love, I love Kenny Ortega. I love it's awesome. Kenny Ortega. He's, like he was one of those people who defined his movies like this and so many others, like defined people's childhoods. And he's mm-hmm. one of those directors who I don't think his influence really is fully understood by the non-millennials, I guess. Well, and I think, I think also his background as a choreographer really plays into this movie a lot because, uh, you know, directing is a lot of of positioning people and, and there's a lot of, a lot of like hocus pocus is going to sound corny is, but kind of is like a dance, like, and it's very like a stage play or it's like, they're on a set and they're moving and you can just like see the way they perform. It, it feels like you could see it very well translated onto just a stage. And I know that they've actually been doing that and they do that at like Disneyland and they do that on theater. Um, but I think like his background and just being able to like present and like feature someone is so, so strong. Um, and I think it also is like part of the reason why we get that. Awesome. I put a spell on you sequence because if it were any other director, I just don't think it would happen that way. No. And it has one of the reasons the movie's so good is it has so much energy and I was a theater kid. So I know that like, that's the main note you get from every director, especially when you're in a musical is more energy, more drive. That's George Lucas's only note he gave to most of his actors is, you know, Mm. faster, more intensity, but that really does matter. Cause like you look at something a good example is like the Beauty and the Beast remake. That movie has no energy. It is so flat and it just drags and it doesn't move at all. And this movie is just go, go, go and fun, fun, fun. And it's Halloween fun. So it's just great. Yeah. And I think that's something too, where it's like sometimes with stuff with dancing, it can feel like 
with like big dance numbers, it can feel really like cut and blocked and that you're missing something. And Hocus Pocus doesn't ever feel like you're missing anything that's happening on state, like on screen. You're never like, oh, what's that thing that's on the far left? Like you're, you're seeing everything that you're supposed to see the whole time. Yeah. It's, it's really well directed and it's well shot and great colors. So we can't like commend McKinney Ortega and this team enough. Um, Mm. One of the things I want to talk about is, to kind of get into the witchy side is the costume design. And I think there's so much great silent storytelling in the costume design for the Sanderson's, especially like for Winifred, you get from her costume immediately that she is hundreds of years old because it's a much more older style, like Renaissance European gown that she's wearing Mm -hmm. um, compared to everyone else in Salem. And she stands out. And she's got that beautiful green color. And I talked in the last episode about how green is associated with witches. But I I got my own Winifred dress this year. Ah, congratulations. <laughs> I'm so excited to wear it. But I look at the actual design and some of the patterns they put on it. And the symbols are actually like magical witches symbols. They have a triskelion actually, which is a symbol of the goddess Hecate, who's the goddess of witches. It's like this little circle with four little, with three legs in it. And so it's the symbol of like, she's a triple goddess. And so we have these three witches and one of them is wearing a symbol of a triple goddess. And they probably just put that in there to make Mm -hmm. it look cool. But it's really cool how we have some actual goddess symbolism in her outfit. Oh, that's, oh, that's awesome. I would love to see like the breakdown because there's a lot of embroidery on her costume and like, it's so, it's so detailed and, and kind of like you get right off the bat that she's the more like regal one. Cause yeah, like she's got the riches. She's the yeah. oldest one. <laughs> Mary and Sarah could, could <laughs> use some help. They've got some patches on their, on their outfits. Uh, yeah. And I like that those, co- like their costumes seem lived in. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember on the Disney channel, watching some making of thing about Mary's costume. And she's got these rings on her that are meant to like hold herbs. She'd gathered in the wood and that sort of thing. And, the great work they did with their wigs and hair where Mary's mm-hmm. hair, like it's like a Tim Burton character or like a witch's hat already. It's so great. I just remember there's a scene in the movie where, um, where Sarah like, Oh, it's when she jumps on the pavement when they have, they push her to test, to test the black river yeah. and she spins and you can kind of see like, like little shorts underneath, but I think they're like supposed to be really tiny, like pantaloons. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of would be accurate sort of to the era. They wouldn't have had like panties and, t- and her dress is actually like two pieces mm-hmm. and she's got all those great, like it's almost like Salome and like the seven veils or something. It's really just all the costume work is. Yeah. It's like very so flowy. It's very flowy and layered. And I think maybe part of her outfit look might've been, um, I saw that, I was watching stuff about like the the wire work of it because I I love um, I love practical effects, but I think they're also like they need to be married well with uh, visual effects, and so yeah. it's like you can have both. Um, but apparently, like Sarah Jessica Parker just really loved being in her harness for yeah. flying, and so she didn't mind like getting in and out. And I was like, well, it's probably good that it was a two piece because that was probably way easier to get her in and out of it. Yeah, and I think that the practical effects that you mentioned that, that's probably one of the reasons why this movie has stuck around so well, because none of the effects, most of them, none of them feel really dated. Mm-hmm. Like, even the CGI effects, there's not really that much CGI. There's 
it's almost all practical and that, you know, you see a lot of movies that use CGI, like five years later, you know that it was five years ago, mm-hmm. but this, it still feels all real. It's like Jurassic Park or the 1989, The Witches, the, that was done so well with those Jim Henson prosthetics and puppets. And I watched the trailer for The New Witches. I'm like, oh, it's all CGI. Yeah, I think I think when it's like when CGI is used to kind of help enhance something, yeah. but not to replace something, is kind of always like a a key like a key component with that. Because there's like definitely there's definitely some moments where Binks looks a little strange. Yeah, um, but that was a composite shot. Yeah, yeah, it's like oh, it looks a little little weird, but for how much screen time he has, it's like it's maybe one or two shots where he looks a little funny. So not bad yeah. given like how much they had to do with cat stuff in that movie <laughs> yeah i was doing some research and apparently not fun to work with cats on a yeah. movie they don't <laughs> amazingly cats don't want to do what they're told but there's like an internet you know urban legend that like oh yes they used this puppet for the puppet on sabrina i'm like no they didn't the puppet yeah. on sabrina is much much worse yeah it's like or that or or that puppet was stored somewhere because it looks pretty rough compared to, to how Binks looks. It's like, oh, that that cat puppet saw, saw some stuff. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and I love years. Salem on Sabrina, but yeah, it's not quite the same mm-hmm. quality. We talked about like how this movie is such a great fall aesthetic and how it's just really well made. And it's also just funny as heck and kind of scary. Um, you're like a horror aficionado. And one of my theories about why this movie is so great and why it kind of embodies Halloween um, is that Halloween is about getting comfortable with like death is mm-hmm. kind of a way to make death and darkness palatable, especially for kids. Cause like when you look at Halloween from like, a, if you had no idea what it was, somebody coming from another planet being like, okay, so you put skeletons on your house and you talk to dead people and you you do what but that sort of it's one of these things that makes us comfortable with the idea of darkness Mm -hmm. and this movie kind of does that it's like the embodiment of halloween and making the scary things fun and it's sort of like i would categorize this movie almost as like horror for kids because it's like a gateway to like okay you can confront the scary things Oh, I think it's totally intro, like an intro horror movie where it's kind of like, you know, there's still some, there's still some scares. There's still, you know, a threat there and there's, there's dark theme, there's dark themes happening too. But, but I think it is kind of like a good test, test ground for like, okay, like could, could a kid get into some, some darker materials? Um, Cause it's like, yeah, you're seeing like right, right off the bat, you're dealing with a death right away. So it's yeah, like, death of a sibling. oh, okay. Yeah, a death of a sibling right away. Uh, a pretty dark scene where they get hung. Like mm-hmm. it's got a lot of adult themes. Yeah, you see them get, you see them get hanged. And, but it's like, but Emily, Emily's gone in the first like five minutes. Um, and that's something too, where it's the movie opens right away with a kid getting kidnapped. <laughs> Like kidnapped right away, like, yeah, kidnapped yeah. and murdered right on away. Family film, film, yeah. It's uh, and apparently the the film originally or like the original script is written a little bit darker. Um, yeah. 
But I think that's part of the reason why it does appeal to, you know, there's a nostalgia factor in it, but I think part of the reason why it does work as, um, as audience that grew up with it age up and with new audiences, it's still very universal themes of, you know, dealing with, uh, dealing with death and like longing and, uh, the complex relationships of, of siblings. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, but there's, you know, there's still, uh, you know, you have like a, a zombie and that could be really scary, but it, he ends up being one of the most sympathetic characters and, a, nice and a hero. Yeah. He's a nice zombie. He ends up being like a hero at the end of the day. Well, it's uh, Doug Jones. So you can't like, you can't go wrong with Doug Jones. Oh Yeah. <laughs> I had a dream I met Doug Jones and I like fangirled in my dream. Like it was a new level of nerdiness. So I have met him and he's <gasps> lovely. He is so nice. Um, I had like, uh, I think it was probably at Comic-Con and a friend and I went up to him to say, like to introduce ourselves. And we were like, oh, we're so excited to meet you. And he was like, I'm so excited to meet you. And it just made my, <laughs> made my night. <laughs> he seems like a wonderful person and he's such a talented actor and that kind of comes back to talking about what we said about Kenny Ortega where this movie's about movement because he is an actor who's his whole like oeuvre is like defined by movement not necessarily his voice Mm -hmm. and that's his wheelhouse is he's an amazing physical actor and it's such a physical movie in a lot of ways oh I definitely I definitely agree with that where he's just kind of uh he's kind of all over the place. And I think the only time that it's not actually him is when he does lose his head. Cause I think they needed someone shorter <laughs> to, yeah. to make up for that difference. But yeah, he's, um, I feel like I feel like his movements are very reminiscent of like, you know, what would be kind of like a silent film era. Yeah, like, like Buster Keaton. Keaton. Really, yeah. Like a Buster Keaton or a, uh, Charlie Chaplin where it's like, you have to really uh, overcompensate for uh, lack of being able to talk. And he does a great yeah. It's a great job of it. Side note, where is my Buster Keaton biopic starring Doug Jones? Like that is a Oscar bait idea right there, please. Come on, Hollywood. I want that. One of the things we talked about physical acting, I think that somebody tweeted yesterday is how mm-hmm. weirdly horny this movie is. And it kind of ties into like our adult themes. Because it's like, it's a Disney movie about like, okay, the whole big plot point is he's a virgin. Sarah's kind of defining feature is kind of, well, it's like you have the smart one, the funny one, and the slutty one. It's a pretty, very horny movie for a kid's movie. It is pretty horny. You have uh, one of the first conversations you see, or not first, but one of the early conversations between two of your main characters are about yabos. Yeah. So. <laughs> Call them yabos? Like, yabos. That's the one. Oh boy. Oh boy. And so, yeah, it's a weirdly like, it's more of a, it's got a lot of teen elements there, I guess. Again, it's a movie we all saw as like five-year-olds and I was watching an hour ago with my five-year-old and I think it goes over their heads. Hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, my child has not asked me, mama, what's a virgin? I'm like, it's a very good boy. <laughs> I think I didn't ask like upon the first couple of viewings, but I, I, I feel like that was a discussion that I had with my parents about what is a virgin. Um, yeah, there's definitely like, yeah, it's, there's definitely, a, it's a horny movie. Yeah, I will definitely, I will definitely agree with that. 
Yeah. And I think that like Binks in human form was like a sexual awakening for a lot of young girls seeing this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, when he's all wet, I think that that's pretty enticing for people who are of that persuasion. Yeah. Between Thackeray and Max, I remember, you know, several times in those sleepovers of like watching, watching Hocus Pocus, we tried calling his phone number not knowing what a 555 number was <laughs> we definitely we definitely like paused I think that's part of the reason why that VHS tape got worn out is we definitely tried pausing it to call it oh, that's um, lovely <laughs> yeah and here I am I'm like oh I always thought Allison was prettier I'm like yeah and I ended up really gay so well, there, is that, there is that um thing where people uh have interpreted her turning down lighting the black flame candle is um because she might not she might not be a virgin Ooh. so there's been that like interpretation of it um but yeah there's like a lot of there's a lot of like line or there's not a ton of lines but there's some lines that you know, I didn't catch as a kid where it's like the bus driver makes a sexual innuendo. Oh yeah. Um, it's not like, it's, it's not like crazy explicit, but it's like, okay, like th- we, I, I see that. Um, and then they talk about the whole reason why like Billy, um, Billy's even a zombie and even died is because he was like sporting with her sister yeah cut her sporting like sporting so it's like hmm, okay is that just when people say they're hanging out like what exactly is the definition of sporting netflix and sport yeah (laughs) it's interesting that kind of like leads me to like my next note point here about how like these witches are pretty sexy witches at least winifred and sarah are mary's kind of like the cuddly one but how witches have always been like the scapegoat for women not being allowed to have sexualities. And mm-hmm. whenever women like express your sexuality, it's like, oh, she's a witch. Um, I have this sort of unified theory of witches in media that I'm kind of working on. And there's like four different kinds that you encounter. There's like the witches who are kind of another species. They're sort of like Samantha in Bewitched. There's like the fantasy sorceresses. There's like something close to actual human pagan witches, which you kind of get with like Sarah from the craft. And then you have like the Sanderson type, which is like witches who are servants of the devil. Mm -hmm. And that kind of represents women who are threatening to the status quo and what people were afraid women were getting up to. And people are afraid of powerful women. And that's the kind of witches we have here. They are kind of scapegoated, but, by saying, oh, they don't have their own power. It comes from the Dark Lord or Master or whatever, but that makes them evil because they have sexualities and they live alone and consort with the devil, I guess. Yeah. And I they think, can read. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think part of it is too, is it's the they're the they're demonstrating the act of like choice for a woman then. Cause it's like, instead of picking the typical life of, of having a husband as you're expected to, um, you know, they're in theory marrying the dark Lord and like choosing to do that. So it's um, and because they do that, then they get to have all this, all this other um, power uh, at their feet and able to do other things. So I think like that's, that's really scary where it's like, oh, you're going against societal norms and what's expected. And it's like, then that must automatically be evil. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and when you look at the movie, like the witches are, you know, 
positioned as they're technically the villains of this movie mm-hmm. because the whole wanting to kill all these children thing, which, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. And yet this movie has not become like taboo or hated like among actual witches. Like every witch I know loves this movie. And I think it's because though they're not the villains or they, they are the villains and they're kind of vilified, they're still the focus of the movie and they're still the stars Mm-hmm. and they still have the most fun and they're the most interesting and they're the focus of the movie even though they're not the heroes which is sort of what it means to be a witch is maybe you aren't the hero to a lot of people but you're having fun oh totally and I think part of it is too is um you know kind of looking at their whole goal is to be able to like you know originally at the very beginning it's just to look younger and then it's to um, suck the lives out of little children so they can keep living and live past this night. But I, uh, kind of an element of when you're talking about like witches in, in media is this kind of like alteration of appearances. So it's either they look, you know, super grotesque and scary um, or there's some type of disguise that they have. And the thing about the Sanderson sisters is they're just going back to their younger selves. So I think it's like a very, it's a very human desire to want to be young and vibrant and youthful. So it's like, oh, they're not, they're not hiding under this like human mask and like some scary creature that they pull off their face or anything like that. And they're not doing a mat. They're not using like a magical spell to, um, like glamour their appearance like they look like people like they look yeah. they look like women um, so I think that's part of it too is it's is there's not some like crazy mystical thing like yes they have powers and they fly and stuff like that but there's not um, not something like super jarring about the way they look either yeah they just look fabulous yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah it's really interesting the way that this movie figures into like the larger cultural arc of portrayals of witches, because it also taps into that portrayal of witches as like, they're going to go after children specifically, mm-hmm. which is a really interesting kind of part of the lore, because that's not necessarily something that was, I mean, it's not based in any reality, mm-hmm. but it's something that came up some in like the historic witch trials. And of course the actual Salem witch trials were started by, young girls uh, who were claiming to be assaulted by witches. But when you look at the deeper history of witchcraft and witches and the fear of witches, you can look back to like the legend of Lilith. And one of her big things she did was she would kill babies. And that was this explanation for when children would die, which was pretty common Mm -hmm. back in the day. And so witches served as this scapegoat for horrible things that happened in the world. And that's kind of where you get the idea of witches as these monsters that kill children. I think that's so true because it kind of like adjusts to whatever fits the time. So like, while like Salem witch trials where a lot of it was like originally brought up by young girls, it was also kind of like used as like a, oh, my husband looked at that woman a funny way. Like, so that, so that woman must be a witch like ah the, the woman on woman hate involved yeah. with witches it makes me really sad yeah I mean well I'm we're gonna do an episode on the witches of Eastwick soon and that's gonna be 
that's a lot of women against each other there. Yeah. But for the Sanderson sisters, it's like they fight the way sisters would. And, Mm -hmm. but there are moments of, especially, especially Mary, she's definitely the more caring and, and doting one, but it's like, uh, with like the calming circle. It's like, oh, she can sense that Winifred is like, you know, kind of losing it. And um, and her like, kind of like type A anxiety is getting the best of her. So it's like, Mary makes them take a break and like connect and calm down. Um, and like they, uh, you know, and and even in the final scene, it's like they look out for each other, they call to each other and they, they fly to each other to try to make sure everyone's okay. So I think there's, you yeah. know, they're, they're very united in this. They're on a dark quest, but there is that kind of sweetness of them taking care of each other. To be a most dire and stressful evening, I suggest we form a calming circle. I am calm! Oh, sister, thou art not being honest with thyself, are we? Huh? Huh? Come on. Give, give us more. Think soothing thoughts. Rabbit bat. Black death. Mummy scorpion pie. Mother. Earlier of how like the movie kind of digs into some sibling relationships and that's really a big theme throughout the movie is like sibling relationships. You have like Binks and Emily, you have Danny and Max, you and you have the sisters and sibling relationships come up in a lot of which movies and TV shows like I'm thinking about Practical Magic and Charmed and the new Sabrina, actually the old Sabrina too, because it's all about sisterhood. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting because witches are seen as sort of outside the social norms. Like they aren't necessarily allowed to, you know, be the romantic leads or have partners, but even in movies where they do their most important relationships are often not with their romantic partner, it's with their family and their sisters, which is says a kind of interesting thing about female relationships as they are portrayed in which movies. Yeah, I think part of it might be, I feel like in general, we just don't get a lot of just straight up female friendships in movies. There's always oh, yeah. the there's always going to be that like an initial like, oh, are they going to fight or butt heads or is some or fight over a guy. guy and- yeah, <laughs> that trope. Um, so I think there's this idea of, you know, women having a sisterhood and the, the, the easiest way to not challenge that is to make them actual sisters. Like you could have just uh, Winifred, Mary and Sarah be a coven. Like you could just have them know each other, but the fact that they're sisters I think just kind of, you know, you don't challenge, you don't, you know, if you don't understand like uh, the tenets of, of, of being a witch, it's like, you, then you don't challenge why they care about each other and why they're together. Cause it's like, they could easily be like, oh, well, okay. Like, I don't like the way you're doing it. Goodbye. But because they're actual sisters, that's not questioned ever. Yeah. And like, you look at the stuff with Billy and in- Winifred didn't get mad at Sarah she for stealing her boyfriend. She murdered the guy that cheated on her. So she was never, <laughs> it doesn't seem like she was mad at her sister. She's like, oh, well, you're dead now. And I'm going to sew your mouth shut. And maybe one day I'll raise you from the grave. And, you know, and she's so surprised when he doesn't want to help her anymore. <laughs> yeah. She's like, how, how dare you? <laughs> so 
let's talk about some of the things like we love about this movie. And I guess we can start with the performances because everyone in this movie is having the time of their lives. Like Bette Oh, Mother everyone's said, bringing it. Bette Mother said this is her favorite role she's ever done. And you can 100% believe that because she is just, she should have gotten an Oscar for this. She is just by pure force of personality. She just owns this movie. Yeah. <laughs> it oh, wouldn't she, work without her. Oh, she's bringing like magic to it. Like, a hundred percent like she's she's bringing a force that just you don't you don't always see in movies and it's and it's one of those things where it's like if you're not giving it a hundred percent in a role like this like it could come off so goofy so easily and um and it's we're very fortunate that it was her because she yeah she nails it it's like there's so much camp and craziness and I think this is like Bette Midler is one of just those people whose like voice and persona and everything about her is like so much larger than life. And this mm-hmm. is really the role more so than any other that allowed her to be like more than human, more than just, you know, a sad singer whose friend dies of cancer or a wife who's been cheated on. She gets to be this character and that's what she deserves in her roles. <laughs> Oh, totally. Yeah. She's, she's wonderful in it, but it's like everyone, every, everyone is bringing their A game. Like I can't think of anyone on screen that like, I don't buy their performance. Like from the teacher, I'm like, I buy it. I buy that you teach in a classroom and that you like, uh, that you pick out the, the new kids in your class. Yeah. And like, even like um, the Danny and Max's parents are great. Mm-hmm. And like everyone's great. It's and the production around them is great. So everyone looks great. It's just so much fun. Um, I think the most dated part of the movie is like the bullies. <laughs> They're just so 90s. The costumes and like the yeah. eyes shaved in his hair. I'm like, oh God, that was made in 1993. The the um ice in the back of his head, but I will say like their outfits are probably more in style again. Like you see that kind of stuff. Like it's, it's coming back. But like, I looked at, um, like probably like 10 years ago, I would say like Allison's outfit looks very dated because it's like very just creams and beige, like her. And I was like, too sexy. Yeah. It's not, it's not too sexy. Um, and I was like, you know, she looks really comfy. Yeah. It's it's late. Her outfit's very, minimalistic I'm like she might have like a capsule wardrobe even though her family is is loaded like I yeah. was like okay I can see see people wearing and rocking that outfit these days yeah and you have so many connections in the cast to like some other sort of spooky properties like Ice um he ended up on Buffy mm-hmm. as like the gay football player which is such an always interesting to me I'm like oh you were in Hocus Pocus you're still in high school 10 years later okay and um, then you have Omri Katz, which was in, uh, he was in Erie, Indiana. Do you remember that show? No, I didn't watch that show. It was like the Twilight Zone for Disney Channel kids. It was mm-hmm. very interesting. And it was not serialized, but it was like in this town where everything was just eerie. Um, ah. That's sort of where I knew him back in the day. Oh, and that definitely like, sounds like something I would would watch. So I'm like, how... 
<laughs> How have I missed that? <laughs> I wonder, if, I don't even know if it's on like Disney Plus or anything. I just, it's one of those shows I just remember from childhood. Like, oh, everyone has those shows where you're like, did that show exist? <laughs> Like, did that? Yeah. And I know, like, uh, Vanessa Shaw, who played Allison, like, she's been in other horror movies. Like, like for the most part, I feel like anyone that's been in this movie that really wanted to go on and do other stuff, like, like did it. Um, yeah. The only re- other role I rem- really remember Vanessa Shaw from is Eyes Wide Shut, which was. Just, oh, yeah. Yeah. I think she, like, sleeps with Tom Cruise, which, okay. Well, yeah, and she's also in The Hills Have Eyes. Maybe she just likes movies with eyes in the title. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. But, um, and then we have Sarah Jessica Parker, which is one of her really earlier roles. Like, this is way before she hit it with Sex in the City, or um, like she was in First Wives Club as like the other woman with Bette Midler later. And then mm-hmm. I think Honeymoon in Vegas was a big thing for her, but she's having so much fun too. And you can really see that she's also a Broadway performer. Well, I I think what's kind of funny about this too is I feel like, and it's funny that it's within a Disney movie because she'd done Flight of the Navigator. So she'd been in another Disney property. I feel like this movie let her kind of age out of the I'm a teenager or like, or, you know, really young 20s roles of like being like, I'm a teen and I'm just a girls just want to have fun type of stuff. And this let her be like, okay, I'm, I'm a woman. Cause she was in her like late twenties making Hocus Pocus. Yeah, I um, don't remember her being in Flight of the Navigator, but to be fair, I haven't seen that since I was like nine years old. It's another one of those movies. I'm like, did that one exist? Or was it something? I <laughs> it, it exists. She's like, um, she's, I think she's like a tech or whatever. She, she works with, uh, with Ralph in it. Um, that's all I like really remember. Um, Cause uh, it just came up in a trivia question. I was like, oh, I know this, <laughs> like in a trivia game that I play. Um, but yeah, I think this like movie kind of let her age up in a weird way where it's like, okay, it's a kid's movie about Halloween and you're a witch, but it, I think it let her kind of leap into to other. I think Sarah Jessica Parker is kind of like an underrated like comic genius because she was really in comedy primarily and Sex and the City is technically a comedy and she's so funny in it and she's so but also so real in that role but she's just so funny and she's such a great singer too I remember having her and the uh, soundtrack to Once Upon a Mattress when I was younger but that like helps me segue into one of the best parts of this movie which is the music oh yeah oh the soundtrack is so great and it almost didn't happen they almost had a different composer he almost had James yeah. Horner as a composer. Oh yeah, and I'm sure he would have done great. Um, but yeah, yeah he's I, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty good. He probably would have done great. Um, but yeah, I went to a screening of Hocus Pocus last year um, at uh, a rooftop cinema, and it was funny. It was like my boyfriend and I went and didn't know it was. Sur- it was like most of the other seats were sold to sororities as like sister nights. And so we were, you know, we're like 10 years older than most of the the people in the audience. Um, And a lot of them hadn't seen Hocus Pocus. I lost my mind. How is that even possible? I'm like, I'm like, it's on TV 24 hours a day. Yeah, I'm like, are you not watching Freeform during the month of October? Um, But they had 
Um, David um, Krishner, uh, who's a writer and producer on this, um, he's the one that came up with the uh, original story concept. And they had uh, um, the composer, um, I believe it's John Debney. I want to make yeah. sure. I'm, yeah, John Debney. They had him there. And so um, John Debney was talking about, uh, Debney was talking about how he was brought on like, right, like, super last minute and had two weeks to compose everything wow um so yeah so he was just kind of like him talking about it like you could just tell he was like thinking about it being like yeah that was that was wild <laughs> and really hard to do but the music yeah. the music's amazing and they had right before the screening they had a string quartet like play um play like the, the the main theme like the theme that you hear when the movie opens mm -hmm. and you sing the water and I was like this is this is beautiful <laughs> it made me so happy um one of the things like me as like you know a kid seeing this movie I thought I put a spell on you was written for this movie I thought it was wholly from Hocus Pocus and then like I hear like this like rock jazz version i'm like how is this how did who, why did they do this why is the weird lyrics different and nope i put a spell on you is a legendary rock song it's like in the top 50 greatest rock songs and a bunch of or songs that helped create rock and roll it's by um screaming jay hawkins hawkins yeah yeah and it's been covered a bazillion times and it's such a great song and like bet midler like owns it so much and it's this version is so different from the original but it's a great song and it's got such like soulful roots and such um and he was very much like the first sort of shock rocker apparently like the black vincent price because he was oh. so theatrical he, he would come out of a coffin in his shows and it's just it's such an interesting kind of way this history intersects with older history yeah i think i only i think i knew that both for, I mean, of the two that we're talking about, the versions of the song, I think I knew that they existed because I had, um, and I recently was trying to see if they still have this CD anywhere, but I had like a kind of like one hit wonders, like top songs for Halloween. And I remember that being on it in like- Monster Mash. Love, Monster, Monster Mash, Werewolves of London, Love Potion Number Nine. <laughs> so like- Classics, every one yeah. of them. Also all movies. <laughs> Yes. So I was like, oh, uh, Purple People Eater was on there too. So like that. Um, that Another Disney Channel original movie. Do you, do you remember the Purple People Eater? <laughs> yes, movie? I do. I do. Um, I think that one is uh, not as embraced as other ones. Um, <laughs> but I always thought like when I was little, I had some like idea that like the Purple People Eater was somehow related to Audrey too from Little Shop of Horrors. I don't know why. Oh. But they sort of connected. They have that mind. same like voice, I think. Yeah. Maybe that's part of it. It's like that. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, it's so it's so wild. Like how our minds will try to connect things. <laughs> Be like, no, 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 it's a universe. <laughs> yeah, especially things you like encounter like really young, where you're just kind of overcome by the awesomeness of it and don't really think too much about it. Where you're like, okay, what I don't know what the word virgin means. I've this song came from this movie. They're killing children. It's okay because it's a fun movie and it's colorful and neat and they're witches and they can do magic and I want to be them yeah <laughs> I feel like their outfits are cool <laughs> they're flying <laughs> like let's like yeah it's like yeah. oh they seem to be having a good time even though yeah. you know they'll turn into dust 
whatever. That's the great thing about this movie, though, is because like in the in nostalgia in general is that sure they turn to dust, but then it starts again five minutes later on the rerun and they're alive again. So with like movies, they're immortal. And so even though they're these villains who die, they're always alive for us because you can just rewind the beginning of the movie. And I think that's really comforting for people. Mm-hmm. No, I think so. I think so too. And I think also, cause you do get that sense of, you know, you get that sense of like peace for Binks too at the end of yeah. the movie. And so it's like, okay, like, um, and that's like really com- comforting to see Emily come and like take him away. And, and you see like everything's good with Max and Danny and Allison. Um, so it's just like a, you know, even though this group that you do kind of root for, like I, like you feel for the Sanderson sisters, like you care, you care about them. Like you don't really want them to succeed in their quest of killing children, but it's kind of like this equal group that you enjoy spending time with is gone. And, um, and I think that's part of the two about the fabulousness of it is it's like, if they exploded, if they exploded and it was like blood and guts, like the way a traditional Mm -hmm. horror movie would be, that'd be terrifying and awful. And they probably wouldn't have gotten the rating that they got (laughs) for this movie, but you have them burst into light and glitter and color. And, and it's, it's almost like, you know, especially with Winifred's, it's, it's almost like a firework. It's beautiful. It's beautiful and shiny. And it's like, Oh, that's a hundred percent how they would go out is they deserve to go out in this burst of light and color. (laughs) And and there's kind of a weird thing going on with their afterlife situation because they're so tight with the devil. And Winifred says, you know, when he says go to hell, she says, Oh, I've been there. Thank you. Like, it's not like they're going to suffer. They're going back to hell. They've got buds there. It'll be fine. They'll come back when there's a sequel eventually, which I hope there is. I know Disney plus has been trying to get it to happen, but 2020 man 2020. yeah it, it feels like living in Salem is just kind of their like vacation home or they're yeah. like, I wanna, like mix it up a little bit if, if someone invites us <laughs> yeah and it's so interesting apparently like the this version of Salem has been like you said there's walking tours of hocus pocus locations as much as there are you know witch trial walking tours and this version of the Salem witches is a bit more fun a bit more hopeful than the actual Salem witch trials <laughs> Did you know that Sarah Jessica Parker had found that she had like ancestry in Salem where she's related to one of the women which crashed there? I recently heard about that, but I know it was like for a show and I haven't seen that clip. So like, I don't know how she reacted to that, but that's wild. She said it was like profoundly changing and I'm going to get like personal here. Um, Like a few years ago, I found out I was descended from a witch from Salem. Oh, really? Yeah. I was. I got the real witchy street cred, just saying. Um, but no, I'm descended from a woman named Martha Carrier, who was like one of the sort of star witches that they accused. And she was called like the queen of hell. And she was hung as a witch, but she's already had children. And so they had descendants and I'm one of many of them. But it's just, it's interesting to see that Sarah Jessica Parker also had that. And it kind of profoundly changed her relationship to the movie. Oh, wow. Well, that's... That's an amazing thing to learn. I mean, for, for both of you. Um, and I think it's something too, where it's so, it's, it's so funny to think about because it's um, not like funny, haha, but like the fact that there were so many 
women that this happened to that like there are and because it, it's not too too long ago in our history that it's like oh you can find that out and there's probably more people that do have a, some relation to a woman that was tr um tried as a witch like then we probably realize or that if people like did more digging they would probably find out more about it and it makes it so much more real to think about like oh this is somebody who's like my 13th great grandmother and I don't know how she would feel like knowing that her great 13 times granddaughter was like oh you identify as a witch willingly really like <laughs> oh really <laughs> but maybe we'll see if I can you know work with her spirit for Samhain this year and kind of that sort of brings us to like our final point. This year, we actually have a full moon on Halloween and it's daylight savings time. It's like we the do. Hocus Pocus Halloween this year. We do. They don't have to fake, they don't have to fake that it's a full moon because it wasn't a full moon in 1993. No. And the full moon like never moves. It's just in the same spot in the sky. It's just the there. Whole it's just there. It's like, huh, like. You figure out what time works, it is. <laughs> it's like you figure it out. Yeah, it's so that's so wild to think about. And that makes me like a little bit sad about Halloween, but like I know I'll watch Hocus Pocus again. I mean, I think my my count for watching Hocus Pocus this year is like I think like seven or eight. I did have to I watched it again to like prep for just chatting, even though like I probably didn't need to watch it again because <laughs> I know it so well. But I had to like tell my boyfriend, I was like, hey, I'm watching it again. I'm, I'm not going crazy. <laughs> like, I'm not having a, a breakdown. Um, Listen, it's 2020. We got to cope however we can. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, and it's a comfort movie for me. It really me is. Too. It really is so comforting. Like when it starts getting cold and fall, like I bake some pumpkin bread and I turn on Hocus Pocus. I'm like, okay. Yeah. It's fall. It's, it's, it's October now. Yeah. Like, and that's something that's, uh, I feel like every time I rewatch it, like I kind of either sympathize with someone more or like follow someone else's like storyline a little bit more or kind of think about, um, you know, like different, different points of view that characters are having in it or like appreciating a different element. Um, my latest thing has been watching it and thinking about Allison and, um, and people kind of, there's been back and forth debates about like, people being like, oh, is Allison like maybe a witch? And I think like she's, I would kind of say I kind of in that, in that idea. And um, I would say like, yeah, I'm probably like an Allison level of, of witch where it's like, I like knowing the history of it and really like studying that. Like uh, she follows her gut. Like she will, like, even though the witches are gone, she's like, she's like, I, she's like, I don't, she's like, something's not right. Like I don't yeah. feel right and she wants to be like the problem solver and she you know is mindful of little things and like like the salt stuff where it's like uh like you know i i'm betting you know she probably has like an herb garden now <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> like, uh i could see her being very um or the idea of I, I like in my mind of thinking that she's kind of like a minimalist like rebel um going against her her family's lifestyle so i'm like yeah i think like Allison's a little bit like could be like a modern day witch. Like I, I yeah. could see, I could see her starting to go go that way. And, and that's like kind of one of the takeaways from the movie is at the end, yeah, the Sanderson sisters die, but like Allison and Danny are kind of witches in their own right. They find their own mm -hmm. power and they find that magic is real, and there's nothing stopping them from using 
good magic. And I think that that's sort of the kind of message about this, which is power that this movie kind of has is that being a witch means like claiming your power. And sometimes society will hang you for that if you like use it to murder children. But it's still about claiming your power, which is something that all the characters do in the end. And oh, also claiming, claiming claiming your sisterhood too. Oh, totally. And like, and I think, you know, kind of like the claiming your power and kind of what we talked about, people being labeled a witch that go against like societal norms. Like out of the out of the three kids, like Mac Max is the one that does do the ultimate sacrifice at the end of drinking the po- of drinking the potion. Sorry, spoilers if you haven't watched Hocus Pocus by now. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't watched Hocus Pocus, I don't know why you're listening like, to this podcast. Um, like, be like, go fix that immediately. Um, it's on right now. I guarantee. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you have like. Danny from the get-go is very outspoken and very clear about what she wants. Um, she's always thinking a couple steps ahead. Uh, she knows to like how to get uh, how to like get Max to promise to her Peter Pan and Tinkerbell. <laughs> oh no! Is it yeah, Wendy? Peter Pan. Yeah, Peter I Pan and Wendy. I think I know, he Peter- just has to wear tights. Yeah, he, he has to wear tights. Is like the main yeah. takeaway. Um, I think it's Wendy. I think it's Peter Pan and Wendy. Um, but like she knows to like ask for what she wants, like immediately. She's very clever with how she handles the witches or the Sanderson mm-hmm. sisters. Like immediately she, yeah. she tries to put on this air of like, I'm a witch too. Um, Allison is the one that kind of comes up with the, uh, with the kiln. She comes up with the daylight saving. All the good ideas. Like, yeah, it's like, so they are, you know, uh, they're not there to just be the, you know, the, the stereotypical role would be they go and Allison lights the candle and then becomes a whole thing about like her sexuality and being a virgin and all this stuff. And it's like, they don't fall into the stereotypical norms of like, you know, sure, Danny's life is in, is in danger, but she's not like immediately gone. Yeah. Like, and it's just kind of like a show of like all the kids have different strengths but they they treat they treat Danny and Allison really really well as far as yeah. just like making sure that they get uh get their moments in the spotlight and so it's like oh there's there's everyone to kind of root for and celebrate for but I do love the uh Allison and Danny kind of being witches in their own right yeah and so that's what that's a great thing and why I think all the witches kind of come back to like celebrate this movie even though it is not a terribly accurate portrayal of witches it's very empowering in its own way and it's so much fun and mm-hmm. being entertaining and fun can like make up for a lot of sins in a movie like there are movies where they're like good representations of i'm sure i'll find them good representations of pagans or witches but they're just really boring i'm thinking of like a good representation of pagans maybe as um Last Kingdom, which is just a, a show I need to get into, but like the first few episodes have been very slow. <laughs> but this yeah. is fun, and even if it's not correct, it's you know it's not about being correct when it's a movie. It's about the spirit of it and the kind of bigger lessons you learn. <laughs> no, and and I think it's a big part of it is you know what you're saying about just represent representation of witches is the Sanderson Sanderson sisters are doing you know yes they 
uh, do have this pact with Satan and they, uh, you know, they bow down to him, bow down to him, even though it's a dude in a costume in the movie. <laughs> Gary um, Marshall, Penny Marshall. It's Gary Marshall. Yeah. Um, oh, legend. Yeah. Oh my God. That, that scene always, I, I always howl at their, their interactions together in that movie, even though I've seen it hundreds and hundreds of times. Um, but it's like everything that they do is really for themselves at the end of the day. And it's what they want. And there's so many times where it's like, yeah, I love like the Witcher series and um, like the, the books more so than the show. Um, but, you know, their big thing with like, like sorceresses are uh, they can kind of like change their appearances. And it's kind of, again, it's kind of like to uh, appeal to people in society and like, sure. Like Sarah, Sarah does say like, I'm beautiful. Boys will love me. But I think in, it's, it's kind of like the, I think it's more of like the, you put on makeup for yourself versus putting <laughs> on makeup for other people. It's, I think it's kind of like the Sanderson sisters yeah. viewpoint. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, there's just more labor intensive and, and evil. <laughs> yeah. So our message from Hocus Pocus for witches is, you know, own your power. And be fabulous doing it. Yes, so exactly. that kind of brings us like to the end. Um, thank you so much for being our first guest. Can you tell our listeners like where they can find you online or find any projects that you're working on right now? I know you have a really cool one coming up that's releasing on October 27th. Yes, yes. So I am, um, I'm helping on PR for... Uh, the documentary um, celebrating all things Monster Squad called Wolf- Wolfman's Got Nards. Great title. Um, yes. <laughs> um, if you enjoy Hocus Pocus, you'll probably enjoy Monster Squad a lot too. Um, and yeah, and the documentary is really, really fun and focuses on um, like a lot of the making of and a lot of about just kind of like kind of the same thing about how Hocus Pocus has found this you know, it's really celebrated now that we've grown up with it. It's kind of like the same thing has happened with Monster Squad too. Um, and then if anyone wants to ever talk to me about Hocus Pocus, because <laughs> I will anytime, I love it so much. Um, I'm on all the social medias as a B.E. Sandler. Um, so yeah, so I would love to get any any hocus pocus gifts or or just if anyone ever wants to just share their love about it i'm happy just go oh yes Thank you so much for tuning into episode two of the Real Magic Podcast. We'll be back next week with a new episode on another one of our fall witchy favorites, Practical Magic. If you'd like to watch along with us for next week, that'd be great. And tag us in your tweets about it at Real Magic Pod, or you can follow us on Facebook, also at Real Magic Pod, and Instagram. Guess what? Also Real Magic Pod. If you're interested in following me, you can find me on Twitter by at fangirling jess you can also look at my work over on the mary sue where i'm writing all about witchy things all october and pretty much every day until we meet again blessed be and keep being magical